Blog Talk Radio. From the far reaches of the known universe, we are proud to present Brother Harold Muhammad, soldier, scientist, scholar. Blog Talk Radio's finest. Not so mad science. On Black Hole Radio. And welcome to tonight's edition of Not So Mad Science here on the Black Hole Radio Network with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad. Coming to you live from the city of Detroit, Motown. Just because Barry Gordy took Motown to L.A. does not mean Detroit has lost its soul. We're going to have a slow start to tonight's program. And a slow start does not mean no start. So what are we going to do? We're going to open with a little bit of Michael Davies. Because it tells the story of what we lost, what we've left behind, and what we're moving forward to. As a boy, I shared a game with my father. Played it every morning till I was three. He would knock, knock on my door, and I'd pretend to be asleep till he got right next to the bed. Then I would get up and jump into his arms. Good morning, Papa. And my Papa, he would tell me that he loved me. We shared a game. Knock, knock. Until that day when the knock never came. And my mama takes me on a ride past cornfields on this never-ending highway till we reach a place of high, rusty gates. A confused little boy, I entered the building, carried in my mama's arms. Knock, knock. We reach a room of windows and brown faces. Behind one of the windows sits my father. I jump out of my mama's arms and run joyously towards my papa's, only to be confronted by this window. I knock, knock, trying to break through the glass, trying to get to my father. I knock, knock, as my mama pulls me away before my papa even says a word. And for years, he has never said a word. And so 25 years later, I write these words for the little boy in me who still awaits his papa's knock. Papa, come home, because I miss you. Miss you waking me up in the morning and telling me you love me. Papa, come home, because there's things I don't know, and I thought maybe you could teach me how to shave, how to dribble a ball, how to talk to a lady, how to walk like a man. Papa, come home, because I decided a while back I want to be just like you, but I'm forgetting who you are. And 25 years later, a little boy cries, and so I write these words and try to heal and try to father myself, and I dream up a father who says the words my father did not, dear son. I'm sorry I never came home. For every lesson I fail to teach, hear these words. Shave in one direction with strong, deliberate strokes to avoid irritation. Dribble the page with the brilliance of your ballpoint pen. Walk like a god and your goddess will come to you. No longer will I be there to knock on your door, so you must learn to knock for yourself. Knock, knock down doors of racism and poverty that I could not. Knock, knock on doors of opportunity for the lost brilliance of the black men who crowd these cells. Knock, knock with diligence for the sake of your children. Knock, knock for me, for as long as you are free, these prison gates cannot contain my spirit. The best of me still lives in you Knock, knock with the knowledge that you are my son But you are not my choices Yes, we are our father's sons and daughters But we are not their choices For despite 
despite their absences, we are still here, still alive, still breathing, with the power to change this world, one little boy and girl at a time. Knock, knock, who's there? We are. <laughs> Yes, we are still here, and we are here because we serve at the leisure, the function, and the purpose of that almighty, true, and living God, Master Bard Muhammad. It is that time now. It is that time that we must get up, stand up, straighten up. For the world, it's changing. Tonight's program is a continuation of our assault on the psychology of war. Tonight's war front is the front of slavery and its aspects which identify the psychology of the assault on the black man and woman. This attack though ordained by scripture, was exceeded in its parameters, which required the direct intercession of God in person to resolve it, to redeem us. We'll have additional insights into the war front of COVID-19 tonight. So I want to open up tonight with a definition with respect to the psychology of war called contagion of aberration as identified by Mr. L. Ron Hubbard in his groundbreaking book, Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health. He says that disease is contagious. Germs traveling from one individual to another wander through an entire society, respecting none until stopped by such things as sulfur or penicillin or some other form of antibacterial. Aberrations are contagious. Like germs, they respect none and carry forward from individual to individual. From parents to child, respecting none until they are stopped. The people of yesterday suppose that genetic insanity must exist. For it could be observed that the children of aberrated parents, people with problems, were often themselves aberrated by their parents people with problems. 
is a such thing known as genetic insanity. But it is limited to the case of actually missing parts. A very small percentage of insanity falls into such a category. And its manifestation is mental dullness or failure to coordinate and beyond these has no aberrative quality whatsoever. These people, according to Mr. Hubbard, such people receive engrams which complicate their mental state, their physical state, and their spiritual state of mind. The contagion of aberration is too simple in principle to be much labored here. In Dianetics, his attempt to offer a psychological solution we learn that only moments of unconsciousness, short or long, and of greater or lesser depth, can contain an engram. Engrams are those individual cells in the mind that record information, whether it be subconscious, conscious, or spiritual. Person is rendered unconscious. As black people in America are. We have these terms out there called the conscious black man and woman who is aware of who she is or he is. Who we are and where we are. And then there's the unconscious. We can identify them as the 5% that are aware and understand. And the 85% that are completely ignorant to what is really going on. So, When a person is rendered unconscious, people in the vicinity, in his vicinity or her vicinity, react more or less at the dictates of that person's engram or broken process of thinking. In fact, the unconsciousness ordinarily caused by someone's dramatization of their instability. Mentally. The mechanics of this process is quite simple, actually. People under stress that are aberrated dramatize their engrams, their mental instability. 
Such dramatizations may involve the injury of another person and render him or her more or less unconscious. Therefore, the unconscious person then received an engram as a result of the dramatization. We're talking about slavery now. The psychology of war where slavery was an arm of the war. The assault on the black male and female's mind, body, and spirit for the modicum of control that dictates their lives. Aberrated parents or parents that are mentally disturbed are certain to infect their children with engrams, their broken mentality. The father and mother, in dramatizing their own engrams around sick or injured children, pass them along just as certainly as if those engrams were bacteria. Let's take a look at something. They want to tell us that slavery began in 1619. After a fashion, that can be said to be true. However, the reality is that is a gross inaccuracy and would be a lie. Because it was the broken slave that became the natural result of a process that was brought to the northern shores, rather the eastern shores, southeastern shores of America in 1619. The unbroken slave was brought from the western shores, the northwestern shores, the Gold Coast of Africa, that place called Africa by the Europeans and brought into the southeastern area of the Americas called the Caribbean Islands in 1555. And for 64 years, three generations, he was broken and she was capitulated to the power of that slave master that produced children after those 64 years of history that were purposely hidden and brought to the shores of the Carolinas, the Virginias, as broken men and women, aberrated men and women, who began to produce children 
as a result of their aberration, who they themselves are now aberrated, broken mentally, broken physically, and broken spiritually. So how were they broken, Brother Muhammad? You call yourself a professor? I want to tell you a story about this war and why it is war. How do you turn a god into a slave? The context of the relationship between the black man and black woman. When uninterfered with in that place called Africa, she looked upon that black man as the vicegerent who stood in the physical place of where God stood as his representative to her and the family. He provided all. He did all. Why? Because she required it to give life and structure and direction to the children who would pass through time from him into her and beyond. God traveling to, through time as a time traveler. This relationship was interfered with by the made man who was produced by a God specifically to break that relationship. The ready man. How did he do it? This man God looking to provide for his woman, God, queen, was told a lie. He had never heard lies of such before. He had no reason to believe that any man would do such a thing. He was lied to and told that there was more gold in that far-off land than there was where he was at. And that if he would travel with me and explore this land, he could return with more gold for her than he had where he was already at. So he boarded that first ship, captained by Sir John Hawkins. A ship called Jesus and traveled on a northwesterly course and ended up in the Caribbean where he was not allowed to return home. Many more ships came and for 64 years that man was broken and tortured in a way. They took that man and tied him to the stake. How do you turn a god into a slave? The secret was given to them. The interloper, the intruder, the beast, 
by their father, Yaakov, on how to break that relationship. How do you turn a god into a slave? They took this man god and lashed him to a stake, a pole in the ground, where he was bound at the ankle, the knee, the thigh, the hips, the abdomen, the chest, the shoulder, the neck, and the head. Bound in such a way that he could not fall. He could not lean side to side. His head was kept erect. And then his eyes were pinned open with toothpicks. How do you turn a god into a slave? Daniel baby said, knock, knock, who's there? He said, we are. But it took from 1555 to now to get this, I am here. How do you turn a god into a slave? This man, though bound to the stake, was a fighter. And his woman. He began to think of his mother, his grandmother, his aunt, his sister, his daughter. The five most important women in the world to him. His mother, grandmother, aunt. Sister and his wife. And they began to abuse that woman in ways that no woman had ever been abused before. This woman, looking upon her man, God cried out to her in her pain and her suffering as they abused her and beat him. Again, he was tied at the ankle, the knee, the thigh, the hips, the waist, the abdomen, the chest, his arms tied behind his back, the shoulder, the neck, and his head forced erect, his eyes pinned open with toothpicks. They beat him. And they abused her in ways that no other human being had ever been abused before. He cried out as the man Jesus before him cried out in his native tongue, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, hast thou forsaken me? And this woman looked upon him as he was being abused, and she cried out, My Lord, my Lord, help me. Save me from this beast, this devil, that does these inhumane and inhuman things to me. This is the psychology of war. 
How do you turn a god into a slave? And as she was abused more and more and more, and this man god is beaten more and more and more, his mouth is gagged. He cannot yell and cry out to let her know that he's trying to fight for her. He does not break. But she is abused so badly. All she can see is not that he is restrained. All she can see is the tear falling from his face because he's fighting to be free to save her from the beast. And she breaks. And she gives herself unto them, her tormentor. You look at this and you think of the daughters of Mr. Richards, Williams, who struggled to get his daughters to through tennis, for them to learn the game of tennis and to rise to the levels of professionalism at its highest peak. Suffering all kinds of slings and arrows, they return that favor to their father, Richard Williams, by marrying unto the very same tormentors that destroyed and sought to destroy him. We have our dear sister on the precipice of rising to the highest court in the land of the Supreme Court Justice, lauded by her relationships in legal circles. But can the black man catch a break? No. How do you turn a god into a slave? She is married unto the very same person. That gave us the most help. My Lord, my Lord, save me from this beast who does these sick, vile, and disgusting things to me. And all I can see on your face, my Lord, is a tear. I hate you. And thus, the black man is not broken because he's beaten. The black man is not broken because he's restrained. He's a fighter. He's a god. And he does not quit. But his spirit is crushed. Because that energizer bunny, that battery that drives him to fight the world and get up every day to do battle with the world, to do battle with the elements, to make war with those who make war against him, to fight with those who fight against him, now hates him. And his spirit is crushed because the woman that he loves no longer loves him. The secret to God is in the black woman. For so long as she loved that black man, he is the warrior arm of God. 
How do you turn a god into a slave? By the process of psychological war. The psychology of war. And breaking that relationship created the aberration, which now made it into the genes of man and transcended and traveled through time from 1555 to 2022. Aberrated parents are certain to infect their children by means of their aberrations with engrams. Misconceptions and poor data in a society's culture become engrams because not all the conduct around an unconscious person is in the dramatization. If some society, for an example, believes that fish eating brought on leprosy, it is quite certain that this false datum, this false truth, will find its way into the engram that dictates the thoughts of the individuals, and sooner or, st- sooner or later, somebody's going to develop a leprosy-like disease after having eaten fish. Because the ignorance of that mind creates the physical presence of their reality. In a book written by Douglas A. Blackman, presumed that he is Jewish, I don't know. I don't know the man. His book titled Slavery by Another Name. He says, I was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal exploring the possibility of a story asking a provocative question. What would be revealed if American corporations were examined through the same sharp lens of historical confrontation as the one being trained on German corporations that relied on Jewish slave labor during World War II and the Swiss banks that robbed victims of the Holocaust of their fortune. I'm going to come back to it. In the book, The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, Volume 1, by the Nation of Islam's research team, it opens with, Jews have been involved in the purchase and sale of human beings. This fact is confirmed by their own scholars and historians. In his book, A History of Jews, by Solomon Grizel, states that, and I quote, Jews were among the most important slave traders in European society. 
Lady Magnus writes that in the Middle Ages, quote, the principal purchases of slaves were found among Jews. They seemed to be always ready to pay. Henry L. Feingold stated that, quote, Jews who were frequently found at the heart of the commerce could not have failed to contribute a proportionate share of the slave trade directly or indirectly. In 1460, when Jews were the masters of the nautical sciences in Portugal, the nation was importing seven to 800 slaves yearly. The success of these medieval merchants were enhanced by their supreme linguistic abilities. They spoke Arabic, Persian, Roman, Frankish, Spanish, and Slavonic and displayed a business acumen far in advance of the time. The Jews' participation in the slave trade, particularly their trafficking in non-Jewish slaves, incited the moral indignation of Europe's Gentile population. The Europeans reacted by taxing the Jews, Notice, they taxed them. They did not stop the practice. They just instituted a tax on them to get their cut. The Jews were expelled from their host countries for this activity of taxation. Expulsion of Jews by European governments was not unusual with the most of the complaints centered around economic exploitation, monopolization, or sharp practice. By 1500, with the exception of certain parts of Italy, Western Europe had closed its doors to so-called Jewish people. I'm gonna add a list or a partial record of the countries and the dates of the so-called, or rather I should say, the Jewish expulsion from European countries. Maine, 1012. France, 1182. Upper Bavaria, 1276. England, 1290. France, 1306. France did it again in 1322, Saxony, 1449, 1424. Mainz did it again 400 years later in 1438. Augsburg, 
1439. Upper Bavaria kicked them out again in 1442. The Netherlands, 1444. Brandenburg, that's Germany, 1446. Mainz let them back in and then kicked them out again in 1462. 20 years later, they let them back in and they pushed them out again, 1483. Mind you now, they keep getting back in because they look just like their European brethren. Warsaw, 1483. Spain, 1892. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Got lost. Lithuania, 1495, Portugal, 1496, Naples, Italy, 1496, Navarre, 1498, Nuremberg, 1498, Brandenburg again in 1540, a hundred years later. Naples, 1541, Prague, 1541, Genoa, 1550, Sixteen sixty nine. Slovakia again, two and three hundred years later, seventeen forty four. Bohemia and Moravia, seventeen forty four. And Moscow, Germany, eighteen ninety one. Over the next centuries, the centers of Jewish development moved into the Western Hemisphere where land and commercial opportunities provided the incentives for immigration. The open and ungoverned territory and the docile and vulnerable indigenous population, the so-called Indians, were an irresistible attraction to the maligned race. They acquired great wealth in the Caribbean and South American enterprises and eventually moved into the American Northeast, which became the economic focal point. It started with the forced expulsion of the Jews from Spain, the Spanish Empire, with their early explorer, the so-called discoverer of America in 1492, Cristobal Colon, known as Christopher Columbus. It was not Jews, but Jews who were the financial backers that provided the money to the Queen of Spain for the first expedition of Columbus. On August 2nd, 1492, more than 300,000 Jews were from Spain, ending their five-century involvement in the black hostage trade in that region. In fact, the Spanish Jews from Spain amassed large fortunes dealing in 
Christian slaves and became quite prominent within the Spanish hierarchy. They had obtained the most important offices and positions of trust in the Spanish cabinet and counting houses of the rulers, the banks, and maintained great influence over the regional trade, causing many to believe that the Jews exercised an unhealthy domination over the economy of the region. The rulers, King and Queen of Spain, Queen Isabella, were convinced enough to order all Jews to either convert to Christianity or leave Spain. Therefore, it was in their best interest to provide the money for Cristobal Colon to travel the oceans. The secret relationship between blacks and Jews page 9 through 11. This is Not So Mad Science. We are going to continue. We'll be right back after a brief intermission. And for that time, we hear that train coming.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. This is Not So Mad Science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. We have to continue to look at the psychology of war, the result this war is supposed to produce. How do you turn a god into a slave? Once that process is begun and started, and the separation between the black man and woman is begun, and the science of that disruption begins to move forward, the worst kind of crime I'm taking this from the words of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad in his earth-shattering book, Message to the Black Man, on page 37, paragraph 2. The worst kind of crime has been committed against us. For not only were we robbed of our desire to even want to think and to do for ourselves, often pictured, we are often pictured by the slave master as a lazy and trifling people who are without thoughts of advancement. And I say this is the condition which the slave master very cleverly wanted and created within and among his so-called Negro. I refer us again back to the book by Donald Blackman, Slavery by Another Name. What would be revealed if American corporations were examined through the same sharp lens of historical confrontation as the one being trained on Jewish, on German corporations, now Russian corporations, considering the war between Russia and the Ukraine, that relied on Jewish slave labor during World War II and the Swiss banks that robbed victims of the Holocaust of their fortunes. He said his guide that day in the summer of 2000 was an industrial archaeologist named Jack Bergstresser. Years earlier, he had stumbled across a simple iron fence surrounding a single collapsed grave during a survey of the area. Remember now. Mr. Bergstresser is an industrial archaeologist. Mr. Bergstresser was mystified by its presence at the center of what at the beginning of the 20th century was one of the busiest confluences of industrial activity in the United States. 
the grave and the twisted wrought iron around it sat near what had been the intersection of two rail lines and a complex of mines, coal processing facilities, and furnaces in which thousands of men operated around the clock to generate millions of tons of coal and iron, all owned and operated by U.S. Steel at the height of its supremacy in American commerce. Mr. Bergstresser, who was white, told him he wondered if the dead here were forced labor. He knew that African Americans had been compelled to work in Alabama, in the Alabama mines, prior to the Great Depression. His grandfather, Mr. Bergstresser himself, once a coal miner, had told him stories of similar burial fields near the family home place in the south of Birmingham, Alabama. A year later, the journal published Mr. Blackman's article chronicling the saga of that burial ground. No specific record of the internment survived, but mountains of archival evidence and the oral histories of old and dying African Americans nearby confirmed that most of the cemetery's inhabitants had been inmates of the labor camp that operated for three decades on the hilltop above the graveyard. Later, he said he would discover atop a nearby rise another burial field where green cotton ham almost certainly was buried. That camp supplied thousands of men over five decades to a succession of prison mines ultimately purchased by U.S. Steel in 1907. Hundreds of them had not survived. Nearly all were black men arrested, then leased by the state, county government to U.S. Steel or the company directly it had acquired. (laughs) Free labor. Slavery. We are identifying the psychology of the assault on the black mind of the black man and woman and the aberration it causes that has been genetically passed down as a result of the breaking of the black woman and crushing the will and the spirit of the black man in those 64 missing years of history. the psychology of war. Mr. Blackman continues, he said, as he began to research this book, 
he discovered that while historians concurred that the South practice of leaping convicts was an abhorrent abuse of African Americans, it was also viewed by many as an aside in the largest sweep of events in the racial evolution of the South. The brutality of the punishments received by African Americans was unjust, but not shocking in the light of the waves of petty crime ostensibly committed by freed slaves and their descendants. According to many conventional histories, slaves were unable to handle the emotional complexities of freedom and had been conditioned by result of their aberration and re-stimulation to generations of bondage to become thieves. This thinking held that the system of leasing prisoners contributed to the intimidation of blacks in the area was not, but was not central to it. Sympathy for the victims, however brutally they had been abused, was tempered because, after all, they were criminals. Moreover, most historians conclude that the details of what really happened couldn't be determined. Official accounts couldn't be rigorously challenged because so full so few of the original records of the arrests and contracts under which black men were imprisoned and sold had survived. This is not so mad science. And I'm your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. Let's finish up with the words of Mr. Muhammad. The worst kind of crime has been committed against us. For we were robbed of our desire to even want to think and to do for ourselves. We were often pictured by the slave master as a lazy and trifling people who are without thought of advancement. I say, this is a condition which the slave master very cleverly wanted and created within and among the so-called Negroes. Robert H. Kinzer and Edward Sagarin, in their book, The Negro in American Businesses, on page 81, wrote, they state that the history of America would be different today if the slaves freed from bondage had been given in addition to the three amendments to the Constitution, the famous 40 acres and a mule. The slaves instead started out only, not only without land and the money to purchase it, but with few avenues open to earn and save money. 
Ownership of producing land is a prime and necessary part of freedom. A people cannot exist freely without land. And the so-called Negro in America is evidence of that fact. Slave master passed laws limiting the so-called Negro in land ownership or limiting the areas in which such purchases or even rental could be made. Are you not less restricted to the poorer section? The slave master is abandoning throughout America. Again, Mr. Kinza and Mr. Sagarin gave hint in their book of the great psychological strategy of the slave master on his slaves. That is the original brainwash. On page 84 of their book, the author states that the land sold to the ex-slaves was of poor quality and in an inferior location. They state that the so-called Negro faced pressure against his becoming a farm owner and pressure from the white community that he remained a tenant. We encountered credit difficulties, hardship, hardship of repayment of loans, and hardship with white executives from whom the loans would be asked. All of this, Mr. Muhammad says, is part of the clever plan to discourage my people from wanting to own producing land for themselves and to cause a great dislike within them for having anything to do with killing, cultivating, extracting, and producing for themselves as other free peoples do. It's a shame. It shows you that you and I, what America is to us, and just why, we have not been able to do anything worthwhile for ourselves. They want us to be helpless so they can mistreat us as always. We must come together and unite. It is time. The psychologies of war. The psychology <laughs> Of war. It goes back not just to 2000, the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, or the 30s. It goes as far back as 1555. In a process to create the condition that we live in now. This is Not So Mad Science, and I'm your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. We're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to take another small break. The Lyrical Insights. 
make this something different. We're going to listen to the African drum performances of Babatunde. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. This is Not So Mad Science with your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. This is Not So Mad Science. As we begin to close out this portion of tonight's program, before we step into the war on COVID, I want to share with you some insight from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in his book, A Torchlight for America. As we look at the relationships which allow for the black man and black woman to be torn apart, we've been seeking a way to repair that rupture. And it's a question of black leadership. The question of black leadership is, can you depend on a benevolent white leader to look after our poor when the country is under such severe constraints? We know that former generations of whites are responsible for putting black people in our current condition. However, conditions force us to think creatively to help ourselves or go down with this ailing economy. By helping ourselves, we will relive or relieve, I should say, relieve the country of some of its burdens. And we will be performing a duty imposed on us by our Creator which is the duty of doing something to help self. We must understand that our suffering uniquely prepares us not as slaves or former slaves or followers or second-class citizens, but to be the examples and leaders for humanity. We can help both the former slave and the former slave masters with what we have been taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and through our peculiar suffering within this racist society. Those of us who have studied and followed the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Marcus Garvey, W.E.B. Du Bois, and others, can be a torchlight for expanding the mentality of the civil rights movement. We stand on our games today because of the sacrifices of Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Whitney Young, Roy Wilkins, and all of those who followed them in the 60s. We respect their gains in the area of civil rights but we are still not free, which is why we must unite now with a sense of appreciation for those gains and take the civil rights movement to a new level of struggle. Black leadership must be reoriented. It's thinking to self-help and then come up with creative solutions to our economic crisis. We can... We will, 
we must help ourselves. As we continue forward in our assault on the psychology of war, tonight's focus was on the war front on slavery, which we still have not yet recovered from. But let's take a look at the front of COVID-19. Many have not yet come to understand that some of the aspects of COVID, not only is there a loss of taste, the sense of smell, but you can also look forward to a loss of hearing. Oh, yeah. Hearing damage. This virus is so pervasive that it is attacking the systems of sense, the continuity to react, interact with the environment around us. Taste, touch, sight, hearing. Feel. So the next time you go to your doctor, have the hearing checked if you had COVID. See if there is not a degree of loss in your hearing as a result post-COVID. I bet you will find that what I have said is true. Do not get caught up in the hype surrounding Will Smith smacking the crap out of, oh, what is that foolish comedian's name, Chris Rock, for insulting his wife on the national and world stage. Did Chris deserve it? Yeah. But Will Smith and his wife are both at fault that Chris Rock would even go there. For they allowed their relationship to become the source of comedic opportunity and public fodder to make them look foolish because of how they lived their lives and how they were willing to share their lives. Red Book, whatever it's called, Red Book Table Talks or Red Table Talks, the program which his wife used to expose the inter- intricate interactions of their relationship, this open lifestyle for her and Mr. Smith. Was Chris Rock wrong? Absolutely. Was Mill Smith right? Absolutely. He's defending his wife's honor. Did Chris Rock take it like a man? He damn sure did. Did Will Smith make his point? He damn sure did. What a husband's supposed to do. However, at the root of their problem is all three of their faults. Don't get caught up in that hype. Keep your eye on the prize. 
This is not so mad science. I'm your host, Brother Harold Muhammad, here on the Black Hole Radio Network. And if the Lord be willing, I will be here with you again next week as we continue to look into the psychology of war and the trauma that those who are in that war suffer. So know the immortal words of that great black creature, the late Reverend Dr. Adam Clayton Powell, Jr. Keep the faith, baby. Keep the faith. And we'll be back next week. Assalamu alaikum. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.